Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cinema's Soft Underbelly. I'm your host, Eugene Weaver. And if you're listening, you know that this show is all about Grindhouse sleazy exploitation, gems in the rough, little scene movies, movies that should be discovered, and I'm here to bring those to you. Also, a couple movies from time to time that should be avoided at all cost. Uh, I was uh, not on last week because, once again, it was my uh, monthly being, or actually my my bi-weekly being sick. I'm sick all the time because I have two young kids, and if you're uh, a listener that has young kids, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, you can probably still hear that I'm not 100%. And if you want to really hear how bad I sounded uh, this last couple of weeks, go ahead and listen to uh, the latest pod show over at Cinema Sidekicks as well as Movie Freaks. I'm on both. I was on both of those shows, and I sounded pathetic. But um, the show must go on. So. Uh, one good thing about taking a week off from Soft Underbelly is that I have a long list of movies to talk about. I'm sure I'm only going to get through a couple of them, but um, at the very least, there's a bunch of great stuff that I can cover. And I'm going to start with just reiterating my love of Lucio Fulci's The Beyond. And I've talked about this movie before on this show, so I'm not going to spend... Uh, much time at all on the movie itself. You know how much I love it. Uh, what I did want to just talk about briefly was the Grindhouse releasing Blu-ray of it. Uh, Grindhouse is another boutique label that, uh, like Scorpion and Code Red and Scream Factory and Arrow, puts a lot of time and uh, and care into lesser seen movies. Now, The Beyond has a pretty big cult following at this point. It's played midnight showings. Uh, throughout the United States, so m- most people that like horror movies or are horror movie fans have probably heard of The Beyond at this point, also known as Seven Doors, the Doors of Death, back when uh, it first uh, was released here in the States back in the early 80s. Uh, but anyway, so the Grindhouse release, I was hesitant to pick up this movie on the, on the Region A Grindhouse label because I have the Arrow release. From the UK, and I've had it for several years now. Actually, it's probably going on three or four years that that was released, and it was a solid release. Uh, I've watched it numerous times, and there was nothing wrong with it. Great special features, uh, picture quality and sound quality were really good. And I'm like, that's another thing. It's something with uh, with Grindhouse and these other labels is you got to pay for them. It's not like uh, it's not like a a big budget release that drops in price. To fifteen bucks the second week it's it's released. No, no, no. These uh, these come out at thirty bucks sometimes, twenty five, and they stick around that price maybe to twenty dollars. I actually bought this for twenty bucks. I wasn't gonna buy it uh, because the Arrow release is so good, but the packaging on the Grindhouse release, the uh, plethora of new extras that I have yet to even delve into. Uh, and the new transfer and the new remastered sound had me interested enough to to where I'm a collector, so I'm like I, it's one of one of my all time favorite movies. 
I have to have that version as well. And so I did buy it. And I will say this, it is worth every penny that I paid and then some. It's uh, one of, if not the best Blu-ray release that I've seen in the past year. Uh, it, it's It trumps what uh, Criterion is doing with their releases. The packaging is stunning. It's stunning packaging. It comes with its own uh, soundtrack CD included. Um, th- the special features are, I don't have the disc in front of me, but they're, it, it's so extensive. The stuff that's, I can't imagine there's going to be anything else to talk about after watching the special features on that. I can't imagine that people can still drum up stuff to talk about that movie after that. Uh, there's so many interviews. And the transfer itself, and like I said, the Arrow release had a solid, solid transfer. If a bit uh, on the bright side for a horror movie, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I would actually rather a movie be too a little bit, uh, the transfer be a little bit too bright versus a little too dark to where you can't see what's going on. And Arrow's release was just a, just a little too bright. Uh, so some of the night scenes where you could totally see everything easily, uh, it, it lost a bit of the moodiness and the atmosphere that makes that movie what it is. Uh, but this is a minor, minor, minor gripe in the Arrow release. It Arrow release is still rock solid. And if you find that for a good price, which you won't, but if you would, pick it up. However, the Grindhouse release is the one to have, uh, without a doubt. The the picture quality on that, uh, projected on a 120-inch screen uh, in 1080p, is stunning. I, I, I can't believe how good it looks. Very, very cinematic. The colors are vibrant. The dark scenes are dark without being, uh, being too dark to where you can't see what's going on. And, uh, of course, the blood and gore flow in rivers in that movie. And it's uh, it's a gorehound's dream come true. That thing is so hardcore. And uh, and it's not just a gore film. It's really, It really is a well-crafted movie. In fact, I think that that movie, uh, and this is just my personal thoughts on it, but I do think that the filmmakers, Lucio Fulci uh, and everybody involved, I don't know if they quite knew what they were making, uh, because I think some of the the uh, logic lapses and the and the plot holes, um, I don't think that that was deliberate. Um, I think that that was just unintentional. But because of that, it makes the movie what it is, and it gives it that nightmarish "what's going on" type of feel. That if it would have been cookie cutter, you know, actors getting from point A to point B to point C, then done, roll credits. Uh, it wouldn't have been quite as effective. Uh, because this thing here is all over the place. It still, it still makes sense, kind of, in a, a David Lynch sort of way. Um, it's just, like I said, it's it's one of those nightmares on film movies. House of a Thousand Corpses and Texas Chainsaw Massacre are two others that I consider to be in that vein. To where it's not so much a horror movie, it's just someone's really bad dream that you want to wake up from, but you can't. Uh, this one here, uh, well, it's a perfect score for me. It's it's, I rate my movies one to five. It's a perfect five, and the Blu-ray release is a perfect five. Arrow, Arrow's release would be maybe a four, four and a half out of five. Still a, a solid release. But anyway, so that's my Beyond rant. Watched it last night. 
uh, every time I watch it. I never get tired of it. I can watch that movie over and over and over and find new, weird, quirky little things about it. Uh, even uh, the the effects are fantastic, but there are moments in the movie where the, the effects are not so fantastic and they're quite bad, like the fake spiders. But that, to me, adds to the weirdness of the movie. I actually like the fact that you're looking at obviously fake spiders crawling across some guy's body ready to rip his face apart. It's just something about it makes it even more disturbing to me. So anyway, check out The Beyond, one of the greatest horror movies ever, ever made, in my opinion, and the perfect example of what my show is all about. Uh, so anyway, okay, now I'm going to move on to two Jess Franco movies that I recently watched from Severn, another great studio that is releasing uh, fantastic transfers of uh, of little scene movies and Gems in the Rough and Italian, uh, Italian exploitation cinema. Um, I don't hit on Severn's stuff as much uh, because I'm not as big of a fan of as of the movies that they're putting out. But I do want to give props to Severin for what they are doing. They are every bit the equal to uh, the host of other boutique labels that I've talked about numerous times on my show. I do think Severin is really, really good at what they do. They put out great packaging, especially these uh, two Jess Franco movies that I'm going to be talking about. Uh, they are, uh, again, uh, I would, I would, say that these are starting to rival criterion quality releases. And we're talking about extreme exploitation. It's actually more like sexploitation type softcore movies from 1970 that uh, aren't necessarily good, but are super cool, if that makes sense. And I'm going to get into that a little bit uh, later. So I'm going to start with, uh, these are Jess Franco. And Jess Franco... I'm not the biggest Jess Franco fan. Um, he focused a lot on uh, softcore, uh, nudie, sex-type movies with horror uh, undertones to them. Uh, Virgin Among the Living Dead, uh, The Demons, uh, stuff like that. Um, uh, I've seen some. I've seen some of his movies. Uh, he's done some uh, Nazi exploitation uh, movies as well. He did one of the Elsa movies. Uh, so uh, he's uh, – one thing I will say about Jess Franco is he lived and breathed movies. That's all he did. He made – he woke up in the morning and he made movies, uh, sometimes to the tune of 10 to 14 movies a year. Um, that's, that's just Franco. Now, were they good? Mm, the ones that, uh, uh, that I've seen has, have been, you know, so, so, uh, he died in 2013 at age 82. And, um, here's how many, uh, directing gigs this guy had 203 credits. And, uh, his last movie was made in 2013, the year he died, Revenge of the Alligator Ladies. So there you go. Um, so I got to say, even if you don't necessarily like his movies, I got to give the guy props for uh, being one of the most prolific directors of all time. That is insane, the amount of movies this guy made. You may have heard of The, uh, the Awful Dr. Orloff, um, uh, The Diabolical Dr. Z, 99 Women, um, 
And then we get into stuff, Venus and Furs. Then we get into stuff like Sadist Erotica, The Bloody Judge, Sex Charade. Um, and then the movie I'm going to talk about next. And that would be, oh, this is probably his uh, most well-known movie. Uh, and I'm very glad I have it in my collection now. And I'm glad to have finally seen it. And that is 1970s Vampiros Lesbos. And uh, the title is exactly what you think it is. Vampire Lesbians. There you go. Um, is it good? That just depends on the type of movie that you like. Uh, kind of like The Beyond, this movie doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that's not why you watch this movie. Um, it, it has a, it's, I don't want to say it's a nightmare type logic to it, but it's just, it's more, it's almost an, it's almost an art house type thing to where you're just watching the screen for the complete bizarre images and the music, which the, the soundtrack to this and this, uh, this Severn release has the original German, uh, it's the German soundtrack, uh, which is what it was. That was Jess Franco's preferred version. Also on the disc is the Spanish version, but the German version has a different soundtrack. And I got to say, and the, the Severn release has the, uh, the CD, the soundtrack CD included, uh, as well as a beautiful slipcover, and the packaging is just gorgeous, gorgeous. Um, the music in this movie is is so good, I can hardly put it into words, and it's it's hard for me to describe what it is. It's almost like acid jazz, hypnotic type Austin Powers music. Like if it's take take the cheesy Austin Powers music and then make it acid jazz set to gyrating, uh, writhing around the floor, scantily clad vampire lesbians, I guess, in various stages of undress, and it's something. Uh, I'm going to read the back of the Blu-ray here. Um, and it honestly, I'm going to say this about uh, this movie. It, it sounds worse than it actually is. Uh, it's actually, for him especially, it's not near as sexually explicit as it may seem it's more he went definitely more for an artistic approach to this than just full-on sleazy uh sex type stuff uh back of the blu-ray here first it says the holy grail of cult cinema from dvd talk and i will say this this is a total cult movie and i have a feeling that the more i watch this and i am going to watch this numerous times i can already tell i'm going to like this movie more and more just for the simple fact that it is such a bizarre movie. Uh, from Jess Franco, the filmmaker the Vatican called the most dangerous director in the world comes the most celebrated movie of his legendary career. Stunning uh, Soldad Miranda, and she unfortunately passed away in a car accident at the age of 27, I believe right after this movie was made, or the next movie uh, that I'm going to talk about. She, she She's beautiful, and she's... she's uh, I think Jess Franco kind of discovered her, and she truly is a gifted actress. You can tell, um, and it's unfortunate that she died at such an early age because I could see her uh, having become more of a scream queen as the years uh, went on, kind of like Barbara Steele with Mario Bava's, uh, some of Mario Bava's stuff. Um, uh, she was great in this movie. She really, really, really great, and, and the next one I'm going to talk about as well. And I think that that also elevates these movies uh, more so than some of Jess Franco's other stuff. Uh, her acting ability was very good. She was a good actress. 
Uh, but anyway, uh, she stars as a vixen vampire who lures women to a Mediterranean island to satisfy her insatiable lust for female flesh and blood. It's a mind-bending odyssey of surreal erotica and 70s Euro horror, featuring the psychosexadelic soundtrack that remains a global phenomenon. Uh, Jess Franco himself stars in this movie, uh, and he is, one, he just looks weird to begin with. And in this, he just looks even weirder. He looks like this disgusting little troll-type guy in this movie. Um, uh, but it's cool, to, and, and his character goes almost nowhere. It's almost random that he's in there. It's like he shoehorned himself in there, uh, but it works because it's so random and bizarre, and I love it. Um, so anyway, um, a host of special features on this thing. I watched some of them. I haven't got to all of them because I have a stack of Blu-rays a, a mile long that I'm trying to get through. So, uh, and honestly, as much as I did enjoy this movie, I would rather sink the hours and hours of special features into the beyond versus this. This is something that I'll probably, I watched one of the special features. It was a historian talking about Jess Franco making of this movie, uh, the actress's untimely death and all that stuff. Uh, so, and that was very interesting. But there's some other stuff on there too that uh, that I'm hoping to watch at a later date. But uh, if for no other reason to watch this movie, the soundtrack is killer. And I don't even like this type of music, but for some reason, um, it's such a sleazy, icky soundtrack, and it works so well with the the total bizarreness on screen. Seriously, this type of movie could be um, shown on a loop at an art museum somewhere, if that even makes sense. Um, and take out all the dialogue. You don't even need dialogue. Just have the weird images on the screen over uh, overlapping the acid jazz that's being played. And there you go. There you've got a living piece of art. So, And bravo to Jess Franco for that. Uh, he was known as... Um, you know, a uh, low-budget, grindhousey. You know, uh, I don't want to call him a hack because the guy made over two hundred movies in his career. That's phenomenal. Um, but high art. This man was, I don't believe, really known for. But this here, uh, very different. So uh, anyway, I would I would recommend uh, checking it out. Although, be prepared this is very much a softcore erotica type of uh of movie and uh it's it's something it's something uh okay next up is another Jess Franco movie and this one is called She Killed in Ecstasy and uh made the same year which uh it's weird to say that from you know from this director uh, like, oh, it was made in 1970. Oh, so was, uh, so was Vampiro's Lesbos, made in 1970. Uh, in fact, I'm just looking through the IMDb right now, uh, and this is what's funny is, one, two, three, four, five, six. So there were six movies that he made in 1970, or that were released in 1970. Um, that's just so bizarre. But anyway, She Killed in Ecstasy. Uh, only 70, about 75 minutes long. Uh, I'll read the back of the uh, Blu-ray here. Stunning a superior slice of eroticism, says the spinning image. For his follow-up to Vampiro Lesbos, director Jess Franco delivered perhaps his most twisted shocker of the 70s in what fans and critics consider to be her greatest role, the luscious 
uh, Miranda, that she's the our actress from uh, Vampiros, in one of her final appearances before her tragic death, stars as the vengeful widow who seduces, uh, then murders the men and women responsible for her husband's suicide. Uh, and Jess Franco himself stars in the movie uh, as a, a side character, uh, featuring another epic sexadelic lounge score, uh, remastered, blah, blah, blah. It's, per, it's Franco at his uh, perversely erotic best, like you've never seen it or heard it before. Again, tons of special features. Got the soundtrack CD. I prefer Vampiro's soundtrack to this, although this is so similar that it's it's splitting hairs, but it's it's great. I love it. It's that acid jazz type thing going on. And this is more of a Jalo type movie. Uh, a little bit more straightforward in the storytelling. You uh, unlike Vampiros Lesbos, where you're just letting the images kind of unfold as they are and kind of just rolling with it and screw logic. It's just it has what happens happens. This is more of a you know point A, point B, point C, and then things are wrapped up. Although with its own uh, odd sort of Jess Franco style, um, uh, it, it isn't. Quite, it's 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 hard to say which one I like best. Actually, when, now that I'm looking at the cover and and thinking about it, they both they both oddly enough fit together quite well. Mainly because I they use they reuse similar sets. I think the sets were very similar. Uh, same actors, a lot of the same actors on both of these movies. The score was very similar, although the storyline itself was uh, was totally different. So, um, but uh, these were not cheap Blu-rays, and I was very very hesitant to pick these up. But I knew Severin's track record, and uh, uh, these are limited collector's editions, and uh, they're very well known in the horror community and you know me I like to watch them all and uh even ones that ones that I'm expecting to not be good and honestly I wasn't expecting these to be good I was thinking oh I'm probably blowing my money on these Jess Franco turds and I'm going to end up selling them on Flea Bay and recouping my money and moving on but honestly uh not the case not the case at all I enjoyed both of them I thought they were cool uh very swinging 60s type of bizarreness, and uh, you, you're probably going to want to shower after watching these things. They're out there. So anyway, good stuff. I do, uh, I do enjoy my Euro horror, and those are Euro horrors. So um, now there's some more movies that I wanted to talk about from uh, Code Red. They released a three-pack of the most obscure stuff that you could even imagine. But I'm just going to tease that for the next episode uh, because I don't have enough time left on my show to really delve into those like I'd like to. Uh, and I'm going to delve into those a little bit more. So I'm going to hold off on the Code Red releases until next time. I have watched them all. So uh, next episode, I'm more than likely next episode, I'm going to hit on them. But I'm just going to real quick recap uh, a couple of the movies that I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on uh, on this show, as well as my uh, uh, sister ho show, my sister ho, I like that, my sister show that I co-host. So, uh, real briefly here, I wanted to talk about and just uh, just give props to a couple movies that I think are are worth watching. Uh, one of them is Witchboard Two: The Devil's Doorway, and um, you know. 
uh, Witchboard 2 is uh, actually improves upon the uh, the first one. I think that um, it's a good a novel approach to a horror movie as using the Ouija board as, you know, that's the tool that conjures up your bad guy that starts doing the killing. Witchboard 2, um, it does... Honestly, it does everything right that a direct-to-video horror movie from the, I believe, early 90s should do. Uh, and I'm, I'm impressed. It's shot very well. Uh, the acting actually is is really good. I would I would say that this would classify as a, uh, as a gem in the rough. Um, I've watched it twice and from 1993. I've seen movies from 19, from the nineties, um, way bigger budgeted, uh, way more prolific than this that weren't half as good as this. Uh, Kevin Tenney directed Witchboard 2 and, uh, he's done some other really good stuff actually. Uh, he's directed, um, let me just see here. He directed Night of the Demons, which is fantastic. The original Witchboard, um, Peacemaker from 1990, uh, The Arrival Part 2. I have not watched The Arrival Part 2, but I really enjoyed the first Arrival, uh, with Charlie Sheen. Uh, so he's done, um, some really good stuff. And this one here, other than the original Night of the Demons, I would say this is probably his best work. Uh, I'm going to real briefly here read the uh, synopsis. I've got the Blu-ray, but I don't have it in front of me. So I'm just going to read the synopsis on IMDb. A beautiful young woman starts receiving messages through through a Ouija board, claiming to be from the former occupant of her apartment. The former tenant claims she's been murdered, but there's no record of a murder or even her death. Uh, Again, the acting is uh, really good for what this is. The camera work is, uh, is really good. There's actually a car... I don't want to call it a car chase, but there's a a car action scene in the movie that is really, really well done. It's the highlight of the movie, Uh, but they do a lot with what I'm sure is a very low budget. Uh, And I was hoping that it wasn't going to be a one-off to where I watched it one time and and thought, oh, that was pretty good, and then I watched it again. I'm like, no, actually, that sucked. No, that's not the case. Uh, This is a solid movie. Uh, It's not the greatest thing ever. But it fits perfectly on Soft Underbelly. And for uh, for a 90s movie, horror movie, which, uh, as we all know, the 90s were not a good time for horror movies. There was, uh, there was a lot of good stuff, but there was equal amounts junk. Uh, and so something like this that was directed to video that actually has a theatrical feel, and it does. I, I could have totally seen this showing in theaters in, uh, in the nineties. And I could be wrong. Maybe it, maybe it, uh, maybe it was, but everything about it screams direct to video. I don't recall this ever being, uh, um, ever being on in playing in the theaters. So, um, anyway, I'm going to just, uh, just read through a couple of the trivia notes here. Um, Ads for the film's oh, ads for the film film's theatrical release warned: Don't see it alone. This is a play on the common precaution not to play the Ouija board alone. So it did get a theatrical release. How big? I I don't know. Uh, after the success of the first film, Paragon Arts International was eager to begin work on a sequel, but production and budget problems with their film Night Angel from 1990 prevented them from moving forward. Six years passed before the sequel f- was finally made under their new banner, Blue Rider Pictures. Um, but I'm actually glad. I'm, I'm, I don't mind the fact that there was a, a, 
a space in between there because this very much feels like a 90s movie versus an 80s movie, which the first one has that 80s feel. Um, and the fact that this one is a 90s movie and feels like a 90s movie but is a good 90s movie I think is really cool. Um, so Amy Dolan's had a note. She was She's our lead actress in this. Um, and she's actually the daughter of uh, Mickey Dolan's and he is uh, one of the original monkeys, the band. So how's that for a little trivia for you? Um, she had a no nudity clause in her contract. However, Republic Pictures' foreign sales department decided after she was cast that nudity was crucial for international sales and pressured director Kevin Tenney to talk Amy into waiving the clause. Thinking it unethical, Tenney refused and later stated in an interview that it may have been the reason Republic tried to keep him from returning for Witchboard 3, The Possession. So... Um, that's lame. Although, you know, Amy Dolan's was, is, was a hottie and I can understand why they would want that. But, um, anyway, check out the movie. It's cool. The, uh, uh Olive Pictures, I believe released it on Blu-ray. Uh, another great release. Olive, as, uh, Beverly and some of the other ones I've talked about, they're, they get to be a bit skimpy on their special features, but usually their transfers are, are quite good. Uh, not quite the transfers that you'll see on uh, Severin, which, I mean, She Killed an Ecstasy and Vampiros. Uh, stunning transfers for low-budget 1970s movies. The budge, or the, uh, the, the quality of the, the picture quality is fantastic. So, um, anyway, i got to wrap my show up here. Uh, but every movie I've talked about, check out, especially The Beyond. Uh, Wishboard 3 is a cool 90s movie, and of course, Jess Franco's stuff is, uh, it is what it is. You either like it or you don't. So, that's going to do it for me today. Next time, tune in for some Code Red stuff. Uh, you can get a hold of me at eugene-weaver at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our friends over at Cinema Sidekicks. They're covering all things new release, uh, and I always enjoy listening to their show. And, uh, also, Movie Freaks. That's the other show that I'm on, co-hosted, uh, with Eric Marner. We talk about this, that, and the other thing, and all sorts of stuff, so make sure that you tune in, tune into our show. We always appreciate uh, the listen. So uh, that's going to do it for me today, and again, I'm Eugene Weaver. Thanks for listening. <laughs>